Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. All right, Joseph Byrie, thank you so much for joining us today. As I introduced you in the intro prior to us hopping on this call, everyone will hear a little bit more about you, where they can get a hold of you. We'll also review that again at the end. But before we start talking about cost segregations and how they benefit a real estate investor, Mr. Joseph Vyrie, would you love to introduce yourself real quick? I will. Again, the name is Joseph Vyrie. The company is U.S. Tax Advisors Group Incorporated. Most know us by USTAGI or USTAGI, which is fine also, instead of going into the big name. I basically come from an entrepreneurial background. When I was in college, I started working in the travel industry and I stayed with that for 20 years. And I owned my own company and we did special interest travel, incentive travel, you know, travel for like the San Diego Chargers for those kind of organizations. In the year 2000, I sold my travel business and I started working for the California Association of Realtors. And I was involved in financial planning for members of the association and also for their clients. And then in 2007, as everyone knows, the truck went off the cliff. And in 2008, we had the recession. Prior to that, just prior to that, I had some friend of mine who kept wanting to tell me about a strategy. And I finally said, Mike, okay, tell me about this strategy you want to tell me, you know, that you're involved in. And he told me about cost segregation. And I had clients that were staring down at an income tax bill of $50,000, and I was able to eliminate, erase that tax obligation. And then when the car went off the cliff, the owner of the engineering company that I worked with said, why don't you come work for me? And so since 2007, I've been doing nothing but cost segregation. For the first couple of years, I worked with two other engineering companies, but then about six, seven years ago, I started my own company, which is U.S. Tax Advisors Group Incorporated. So I grew up, I started doing detailed engineering studies, which was the only type of study that an engineering company would do, which meant we would have to go to the building and document and measure everything. Well, obviously, if somebody's going to a building and looking at it, those studies cost thousands of dollars, but I've developed a modeling technique and the analytical technique for buildings that are much smaller, that have a building basis of $750,000. So now we offer both. We can offer an analytical study, which costs hundreds of dollars, as well as the bread and butter, which I grew up on, which is the detailed engineering approach. Very nice. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the detailed engineering approach where you're on site, that's more tailored towards 
larger buildings, multiple units, that type of thing, right? Yeah, larger buildings as well as more complex buildings. So for example, if you came to me with a, let's use a different building type. Let's say it was a medical building and you know medical buildings have all types of complexities. They've got electric complexities. They've got plumbing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That I could not do analytically. That would have to be a detailed engineering study. So we still do plenty of those buildings because I have a lot of clients that are, you know, own senior centers, which are more complex. They own hotels, which are more complex. But also now that we do the analytical studies, I can do it for a lot less complex buildings for single family homes, as well as smaller multifamily, six unit multifamily, 10 unit multifamily. I can still do the analytical study. So there is a whole new target market out there for us. And we've capitalized on that. And I've actually had this conversation recently. I had a client ask me about doing a cost segregation on a short-term rental. Does that differ or is it the same process, whether it's a short-term, long-term or a small multifamily? It's the same process, except for short-term rentals are considered like hotels. They are not residential units. I don't care if it's a residential unit. It is now like a hotel. That's a 39-year property. Does it make a difference to me? No, not really, but it does make a difference to the client. It's now a 39-year asset. And so everybody who owns short-term rentals must realize that that's looked upon as a commercial hotel type of property. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Another question that I've been asked recently, and I quite frankly didn't know the answer to, is Does it make sense for someone to do a cost segregation on a single family home if they have one rental property and that is a single family home? No, it makes no difference. Now I would definitely shift gears and go definitely to the analytical study. I would charge hundreds of dollars, but it's not going to make a difference to their accountant, to the process, to the IRS. Won't make a difference. And would you say that the benefits are still there doing any sort of tax deferral analysis on a single family property, even if you only have one property? Yes. Okay. You're going to get a lot less benefit because let's use an example. Let's say that somebody buys a $120,000 single family home and they allocate $20,000 to land. Land is not a depreciable asset. So I have $100,000 to work with in that example. And let's say that it is a short-term rental. That home is going to be used as an Airbnb Well, now you're going to take that $100,000 and divide by 39 years. So the expense you're going to get without accelerating it is going to be a whopping two. Wait a minute. Hang on. Let me do this this again. So it's a $100,000 building basis divided by 39 years. You're going to get a $2,500 expense every year. Your depreciation expense is going to be $2,500. Well, that's small. That's a nothing burger. So if I accelerate it, though, I'm going to give you an approximately a $25,000 depreciation in the year you do the study for, for with bonus depreciation, which is 100% in 2022. 2023, it drops down to 80%. But obviously, you're going to get a big bit, even on that lousy $100,000, that small $100,000, I'm going to give you $25,000 expense, which is huge. Yeah, let's actually talk about the bonus depreciation. And then you also said where you kind of front load it. What's that called? Bonus? Well, Costeg is front loading it. That's what we do. We're going to give the client a front loaded. We're going to look at the short term assets, which are going to be life assets, which are going to be 15 year for the exterior of the building, meaning land improvements. Okay, what is that? Driveways, landscaping, 
swimming pools, fencing, all of that is going to be a 15-year asset. And then we have the interior of the building, which are going to be items like cabinets, countertops, window coverings, specialty lighting, and that's going to be a short-term asset. So what we find when we do cost segregation is about a 25% acceleration of the depreciation. So I'm going to give them about a $25,000 expense if you take 100% of that for 22, and they're going to take that in the year that they do the cost segregation study, which would be 2022. And so that's a huge upfront deduction they're going to get. However, they're still going to get 75% of the building in the real property. Well, what's the real property? That's the items such as the roof, HVAC, the foundation, the walls of the building, you know, all of the structural, structural. That's going to stay in real property, which is going to be always there. So I'm giving them the front loading of the $25,000, but you're still going to get a depreciation expense because the real property can't be accelerated, which I mentioned, the foundation. Yeah. Okay. And then I was at a conference and they, someone was telling me that in 2022, it's 100% bonus. And then it drops down to 80 in 23 and then until it phases out. Yeah. And here's the deal. U.S. Tax Advisors Group does not use that as a scare tactic because don't forget, I started in 2007. We couldn't spell bonus depreciation. We didn't have it. So for the majority of the years I've been doing cost setting, we didn't have bonus depreciation. And nobody said no because of bonus depreciation. But now that you have bonus depreciation, is it nice? Yeah, but what does it mean? It means, bada bing, I'm going to give you that big deduction in year one. If you don't have bonus, now it drops to 80%. I'm still going to give you 80% in 2023. And then the rest of it, you're going to get in residual timing. So you're still going to get it, but it's going to be over the next five years. So you're still going to get the 25%, but now it drops to 80%. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get, I'll make up a number 22,000. And then the rest of that, you're going to get over the next five years. So you're still going to get it. It's only a timing factor. So for me, it's still, no one's going to say no when they don't have hundred percent bonus depreciation. So five years from now, when it goes back to zero bonus, you're still going to do cost seg because you're going to still want to accelerate the majority of that expense. Right. And is there, I guess, a year of ownership or a length of time someone owns an investment property where it makes more sense versus? Well, it does. You know, if you do it immediately, it makes more sense. Just all the math, it makes more sense. But what a lot of investors don't understand is I can go back 15 years and I can still make the math work. Well, what am I talking about? If somebody bought a property 15 years ago, what I have to do is I have to look at how much depreciation using straight line did you take over those 15 years? I've got no double dipping. So I got to take that off the table. But because you're getting the acceleration, you're still going to get enough acceleration to pay the fee. So let's again, go modeling. Let's say I charge somebody $650 to do the modeling study. What I use to classify whether it's worth or not, after I deduct the depreciation they've already taken, I want them to experience a 10 times the $650 fee. So I want them to gain $6,500. 
If they do, then I would tell them myself, I think you should move forward with cost segregation. Now, as you go further back in time to buying a property 18 years ago, 20 years ago, then you're not going to get the 10 times benefit. And then that's when I probably would recommend don't do it. Now, I'll still do the analysis and no charge, but then I'm going to let them know, okay, you decide, is it worth it? to get pay me $650 to get a $5,000 tax savings. If they think it's worth it, then I don't have a problem moving forward. But most of the time, when I grew up doing this, it was 10 times the fee. And that's what I kind of base my decision on now. So 10 times what I'm going to charge you, if you're not getting that minimum benefit, then I would tell the client, don't do it. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. When it comes to depreciation and tax credits and cost segregations and this whole kind of facet of the real estate industry. If someone that is not a real estate professional or full-time real estate doing a study like this or you know a model, does this only go against the income that that property, let's say they have one property, it doesn't go against their W-2 or anything like that, right? It's only passive. Right. Yeah, there's three situations where I tell where I'm very cognizant of. And when I do a free consultation, I go over the three. Number one, are you paying income tax? It sounds silly, but real estate has a lot of deductions. If you're not paying income tax, if your accountant's not saying, hey, write a check out for five, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars, I'll tell you right now, don't do it. You don't need to pay me a dime because you're not a good candidate for cost segregation. Number two, there is a concept called depreciation recapture. So if you're going to sell the property within a year and a half to two years, and by the way, I'm less on that. A lot of people still say five years, but I do speaking engagements all over the country with CFOs. I ask them, what do you think the number should be? I've distilled it down to a year and a half to two years. So bottom line, if you're not going to hold on to the property for at least a year and a half to two years, I'll tell you myself, don't do it. Depreciation recapture, you're going to have to pay some of that depreciation back. Now, here's a little twist, and I'm not going to get into it, but cost segregation reduces depreciation recapture. That's not the reason you don't do it. The reason you don't do it, if you're only going to own the property for less than a year and a half, even the math doesn't work. So I'll tell somebody that even with depreciation recapture, even though cost segregation reduces the depreciation recapture, I'll tell the client, don't do it. The third and the most important factor is the passive active rules. If you're a passive investor, and what that means is if you're making a W-2 income and you work for, I'll throw out Costco, you work for Costco and you're a passive investor, there are passive limitations. So what I do is I give the free estimate of benefits and I tell passive investors, take that to your account and say, is it worth it as a passive investor for me to do cost seg? Now I have got a lot of passive investors that do cost seg. So it's not off the table. It's just if for you, and I'm not the accounting professional, if your accountant says, hey, investor, you're only going to be able to use $25,000 of what Joe gives you. And let's say I give you, I'll make up a number, 200000 and I'm only going to give you 25000 per year that you can use as a passive investor. I'll tell the client, don't do it because it's going to take you eight years to get your $200,000. So forget about it. Don't do it. But a lot of my passive investors can still make cost seg work because it's based on a net operating loss. So whatever I give you in deductions, if you can only use, I'll make up the number, $25,000 in this year, but let's say I only give you 50,000 so you can get the rest of the $25,000 in the second year. It's still gonna be worth it for that investor. But 
If you're a passive investor, you need to take my estimate, take it to your account and say, is it worth it? If he or she says no, then I'll be the first to say, don't do it. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. I'm asking, knowing you're not the accountant here, but does it make a difference on how many passive investments someone may have? Let's say they own 10 properties, but they still have a W-2 job. Does that make a difference or is it the same as one passive property? No, no, no. Here's the difference. The difference is, and again, I can't answer this because I don't know anybody's individual situation, but if you own the properties correctly, let's say you have 10 LLCs for 10 properties, you get 25,000 per year per entity, not per passive investment. So it may be worth it to do it. You get 25 on this one, 25 on this one, 25 on this one. You chunk it all down and it may be worth it to do cost segregation. So I can't really answer that question, but I can tell you that there's a big misconception by accountants, which is as far as the passive losses, all passive investments can use passive losses. So you take it in aggregate. So you may have another passive investment. You can use my passive losses from real estate against the other passive investments. Well, what are other passive investments? They're going to be like, you know, investing on Wall Street. They're going to be things like investing in a business. So a lot of accounts don't understand that all of the passive investments are grouped together and all of the passive losses can be applied to all of the passive investments. So that's why a lot of passive investors still make the decision to move forward with cost seg. That makes sense. I'm starting to wrap my mind around it a little bit better here. Yeah. So I know we've been talking about kind of the smaller multifamily, single family stuff. When does it make sense financially and tax savings to go from the analytical model to a full-blown boots on the ground? $750,000 in building basis. Again, building basis means this. You buy a property, you peel off the land, and that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what's left over. So if what's left over is $750,000, I will tell you, you're a good candidate to do an analytical study. But once we get over the $750,000 benchmark, the analytics start to degrade, and that's where I won't do it. So over $750,000, I'll tell you, I won't do it. We're going to have to use the detailed engineering approach. Now, we can do a detailed engineering approach for smaller buildings. Let's say $1.2 million. It's not going to be the analytical study. So I'm still going to have to gather a lot more information. So the fee is going to be more, but I can still do a really good job and not charge you $3,000 or $4,000. So most of the time, it looks like this. If you have a building with a basis of $750,000 or less, 
I will tell you to do the analytical. If you have another building that has 750 to $2.5 million, I will do a different type of study. It's going to cost you more than $650, but it's still going to pencil out to be a pretty good result. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, I'm going to have to get more information on the property. It's not going to be purely analytical. So I might have to tell the owner of the building, hey, you're going to have to give me photos of that building inside and out because I'm not going to be able to do all my analytics with just online resources. I'm going to need to know more about that property. But the value proposition, so maybe I'll charge $2,000 to do that type of study, but it's going to pencil out to still be a very strong study, but you know I'm not going to be required to go out there and measure everything. So it's still going to work. And then any building that has a basis over $2.5 million, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to have to go out to the building and I'm going to have to inspect it. And that's going to be minimum $4,000 for that type of study. When you are boots on the ground like that, going out, measuring, getting photos, taking notes, what are you looking at when you go out to a, you know, let's say it's a $10 million property. What are you looking at when you go and do those? Number one is I'm looking at all the land improvements. I'm going to say, okay, what's there? What don't I see on my satellite technology? And I'm going to verify it. I'm going to make sure that there's nothing different. If there's something different, I'm going to have to calculate that and count that. Then number two is I'm going to look at the interiors of all different unit types. So let's say that for you've got 10 different unit types. What do I mean? Studio, one bedroom, one bath, two bedroom, one bath, three bedroom, one bath. As long as you don't have a lot of unit types, I'm going to have to go out there with the boots on the ground. I'm going to have to look at one unit per unit type. I'm going to have to see what these units have inside. So what am I documenting when I go to a unit? I'm going to see, okay, what kind of countertops? What kind of cabinets? Are they wood cabinets? Are they formica countertops? What kind of flooring? Is it ceramic tile? Ceramic tile, I can't accelerate. So I'm looking for carpet. I'm looking for linoleum. I'm looking for VCT. And then I'm looking at specialty items in the building. What are the window coverings? Do they have chandeliers? Do you have spotlights in addition to the regular lights that are in the building? And that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking to see what is the construction of the building. My boots on the ground is going to count all those items. And then when we get back to the office, the engineer is going to look at those items and apply a value to those items. So that's what we're looking at. Then also the third option we're going to be looking at, or the third item we're going to be looking at is common areas. Does it have an office? Does it have a laundry room? And I'm going to measure everything in the laundry room, the offices, any common clubhouse, for example. And I'm going to have to do the same thing to that. So it just depends on the complexity of the building. If it's a very simple 10-unit apartment complex with one unit type, a one bedroom, one bath, the fee is going to be low. If it's a 10-unit apartment, all 10 units are different, then the fee is going to be higher because I got to go in 10 different units and measure and find out what's in there. That was going to be my next question. If it's a property that's built, you know, 10 units in the 80s and three of them have been updated, four of them are two bed townhouses, and then you got single, like, so you basically have to get a sample of each unit type plus condition, right? Exactly. So that's why I don't quote fees when I start getting into that strata. I don't quote fees because we have to quote based on engineering time. So I have to figure out, okay, is the engineer going to go to one unit and call it a day? And there's no common areas. There are no clubhouses. Well, that's going to be a different fee. 
But then I look at a different unit and it's got a two acre site and I've got fencing, I've got pools, I've got jacuzzi, I've got shuffleboard, whatever I've got, that's going to take more engineering time. So when we get out of the analytical stage, we have to look at each building to see what's there. Then we'll look at the engineering time and come up with the fee. Got it. Okay. Is there ever, I mean, we kind of touched on when you would recommend or coach people on maybe not to go through with this at this time, if it doesn't fit their situation. And you also mentioned that doing it as soon as you purchase the building is the most beneficial. Usually if someone has a property that they're planning on renovating, you know, let's use that 10 unit example again, and all the units need to be updated and they actually go through and update every unit. Would you still recommend having them do it in the year that they buy it or wait till renovations are done? Year that they buy it. You know why? Because there's another wild card involved in my industry. And that wild card is dispositions. Whenever you're a value add client and you're going in there and you're doing dispositions, meaning you're ripping stuff out and you're throwing it in the trash. Well, we all know what you do. Well, I know what you do in a multifamily building. What do you do? You take out the countertops, the old laminate, you're going to put you know, a solid surface on it. You're going to rip out the flooring. Of course, the flooring's probably not worth much anyway. You're going to rip that out. You're going to throw it in the trash. You're going to take the window coverings because you're going to put on new window coverings. You're going to throw those away. Everything you throw away has a remaining basis. So let's use an example of a roof. You buy a building for a million dollars. What we do as the engineers is we break out all of the components in that million dollars. Well, what are the components? Well, there are lots of components. Part of that's the roof. Well, now you know because you did the cost segregation study, you know what the roof cost in that million dollars. If you don't do the cost segregation, you have no idea what the roof costs. So what we do, and then you let's you tear the roof off and you put a new roof on. Well, you've got the original roof that was baked into the million dollars, and now you've got $50,000 for the new roof. Well, the IRS does not want you to have two roofs on the depreciation schedule. They want you. It's a mandatory. You write off that old roof you threw in the garbage. Well, that's part of my study. So the only way I can quantify what you had when you bought the property is if I see it. So if you wait until you do all the dispositions, now I come on scene, I'm going to have to try and figure out and it's going to take me more engineering time. What did you buy? What was in that one bedroom, one bath unit? And unless you quantified all the stuff you threw away, then it makes my job a lot harder. So I always suggest you do the cost seg when you buy the property. And if you're going to be a value add client, then we come back and we do the dispositions, everything you threw away. And then we do another cost seg on all the new improvements. Those new improvements can be accelerated. So it's a three-phase study. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of left speechless after that because I thought I had it all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Is there Great. any other common misconceptions with cost segregations <laughs> when it comes to the value add investor? Not your big warehouse space investor, but the value add multifamily. I mean, that's what we focus on in our company. Again, I just learned something new right here talking with you, Joe. So. I appreciate it. But is there any other common misconceptions when you have that smaller multifamily owner that is considering doing a cost segregation? I know a lot of times people think they're going to be $20,000 to do. So a lot of people will 
you know, maybe just not even look at it because of that factor, which we know is not true now. Oh, that's not true. I mean, because we use our technology. All you, you youngins out there, obviously, I lost this a long time ago, so I'm not the youngin that I was. But you guys, you know, you've got apps for everything. Well, of course we do too. So we've taken the technology and it's played a big part. What does that mean? Our fees are affordable now. They're not like when I started. When I started, Hossegs cost $30,000, $50,000. I don't care if it was a small multifamily. It just cost a lot of money to do a Hosseg. But now the fee has gone way down. So that's one factor that I hear a lot. A lot of people think, oh, it's going to be too expensive to accelerate the depreciation. Not true. When I first started, there were so many misconceptions. But the number one misconception was, oh, if I do this, it must be a scam you're not going to save me $100,000 that I can keep in the bank because I owe $100,000 in taxes. I used to say, yeah, I am. Oh, that's a scam. There must be something illegal about it. Well, no, now that ship has sailed. But there are so many misconceptions out there, Trent. That, you know what? To go down the list, I need my sheet because they're still floating around there. One of them is you can only do it the year you buy the property. You can't do a look back study. They cost too much. I'm going to get audited. This is a red flag by the IRS. If you anybody wants to know how I built my business, it's simple. Google audit technique guidelines for cost segregation or ATG for cost segregation. The IRS has a 200 page document. I think it's more now. It's 250 where they gave us the blueprint of what they need to do a quality study. That's my blueprint. That's what I go by. So if somebody wants to know what the IRS thinks about cost, seg, read the 200 pages if you can't go to sleep because it's all there. It's the right way to depreciate a building. And anybody out there, all I can give is one example. If you look down and you have a multifamily with a carpet and I go, let's say it's a short term and it's a 39 year carpet. And I go, is that carpet going to last 39 years? They're going to die laughing. Of course, it's not going to last five years, probably seven years, eight years. So obviously the IRS has come up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of building components that they recognize need to be in short term assets. So that ship has sailed. There's no risk of audit by doing cost seg. People ask me, how many times have you been audited? I hate to give this answer, but I always tell the truth. I've never been audited. Sorry. I've been questioned. I answer the question. And once I answer the question, done. Yeah. So I guess you mentioned the 39-year short-term rental piece again, which again, I learned this has been a very educational conversation for me and I know other people are going to get the same benefit. So I appreciate you coming on again. The short-term rental space is something that's kind of blown up in the last five to seven years or so, right? And a lot of people are focusing on it because there's better cash flow compared to the long-term rentals and all those other benefits. Personally, I feel like it being a considered a hospitality, you know, commercial property, even though it could be a single family house. But for this point, it's 39 years. That's probably considered a con or a negative instead of a pro, right? Because you're not able to depreciate as much on an annual basis. Yeah. You know what? I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, you could consider it probably a negative impact. But if you do cost segregation, I think that negative impact is so small because you're going to get, you know, you're going to get such value from the accelerated depreciation up front that it shouldn't probably be a major issue. There's another piece of this, which a lot of investors may not know. And that is that the IRS looks on short-term rentals. They've reduced 
the number of hours needed to become a real estate professional and an active investor. And active versus passive is an issue. If you're an active real estate investor, that means all of my losses get applied to all of your income. That's huge. That's yeah. big. So with short-term rentals, the definition is reduced by 250 hours a year. So for short-term rentals, if you have 500 hours per year, which is 9.6 hours per week, you can be considered a real estate professional. So that's one reason why real estate professionals are loving that part of it, because you can change it from passive to active. Whoa, that's big. Very interesting. So nine and a half hours a week, someone has to be working on their investments and they're considered an active investor. And then it can go against their W-2 and everything else. Yeah. Now I'm not a tax accountant, so this has to be blessed by your accountant or your lawyer, but mm -hmm. I'm telling you what the rules read. The rules read 500 versus 750 if you're involved in Airbnbs or short-term rentals, which is incredible. And okay. very few people I think really know that. Again, learned it just right now. <laughs> is there anything in commercial or short-term rental, and we can talk about short-term rental or you know an office space that can be included in a study that a single family or small multifamily long-term rental cannot? No. Okay. No, same matrix, same rules, nothing. No. It's just the timeline. Yeah. Just time. Yep. Okay. And like you have a good point though about the 39 year, obviously you're dividing the property we can't accelerate by 39 instead of, you know, 27 and a half. And so, you know, I'm not smart enough to know how much of a issue that is, but you know, that would be probably a good question for the smart guys to answer on their own or with their accountant. Is it a reality? Yeah, but I don't think it's all that much of a negative. Well, and then if you think about it from the other side, I guess the counterpoint is, well, if I do sell this property in 10 years and it's a long-term rental, my recapture tax is going to be higher because I've been depreciating more on an annual basis. Right. Now, keep in mind this, you brought this up. This is another misconception about depreciation recapture, which you're going to learn a little something here. That is a pushback that I've heard of many times from accountants, but here's the answer to that. And without getting into the weeds, cost segregation reduces depreciation recapture. So a lot of, you know, they say, well, wait a minute, you're just going to have to pay all that back. Why would you do that? Why would you pay Joe any money if you're going to have to pay it back? Well, number one, you don't pay it back if you exchange. Number two, you don't pay it back if you're family, your heirs get the property. So take those two, which are huge, off the table. It's only if you sell for cash. But what happens when you do cost segregation? And here's the technique. Again, I'm not the accountant. I'm telling you what my savvy accountants do when they talk about depreciation recapture. It's like owning a laptop. Here's the example. You buy a laptop five years ago and you pay $2,000. What is that laptop worth today? 500. Oh, Boy, lucky if you could get 500, I'd say more like 50, but you know, whatever you can get for parts, but a five-year-old laptop is not worth much. Okay. Yeah. So bottom line is you get the concept. I don't care. Let's say 500. You get the concept. They make the accountants make the same argument with the IRS. They say, look, I bought this property and I'm using five years because the math is easy. I bought this property five years ago. Now I know what the five-year property is because I did cost seg. I was smart. And I know what the 15-year property is because I did cost seg. 15 in the five year. So now you sell it five years after you did the cost seg and you bought the building. They make the claim to the IRS, the five-year property is like the laptop. It's not worth much. You've used it up over those five years. Is there a remaining basis? 
yeah, you can't be greedy. There's going to be some residual value. Maybe somebody will buy the used carpet, you know, and some junk guy, maybe, I don't know. In the 15-year property, you'd make the same claim. You'd say that one third of the 15-year property has no value anymore because we use it up because we've owned it for five years. And so that reduces your depreciation recapture because they make the claim that the value is not there anymore. And I agree. And so if you don't do a cost segregation, you're basically the IRS saying, well, you owe us whatever you depreciate. Yeah, you have no idea. You don't, you have no idea. There's no calculation for the five-year property because you don't have a value for the five-year. How can you value the five-year property? I mean, you could do a cost seg after five years down the road, but I'm not taking that in consideration. But if, unless you do cost seg by a reputable engineering company, you're not going to know the value of the five-year property. You can't make that claim. Right. That's very interesting. And that's a good response to someone that may be, again, you know, I don't know a whole lot about cost segregations aside from what I've learned to, you know, before this conversation and today, but I know that they're very beneficial and they're very powerful if you used correctly. And a lot of people, I think, struggle to understand them just like myself and hearing a professional talk about it definitely helps educate. And I guess not really convinced because you're not selling anyone, but teach someone why this is a benefit. So that's why I really enjoy working with people like you, Trent, because there's some misconceptions out there. And I mean, it's really to understand this is that sometimes I get questions like they say, give me a tip for the audience. And you know, my tip is surround yourself by people who know this stuff. Now I'm talking about cost segregation. I'm talking about an accountant that guess what? Knows real estate. Don't get an accountant that does the people at Costco. They don't know real estate. The IRS laws are massive. I mean, for anybody to understand what I know about depreciation, it's a small, small market. So find yourself advisors out there that know about you know the accounting principles and people like you who can share this information to them and get educated because it really can make the difference between a very successful real estate investor and one who's not successful. That's a true fact. I had to switch accountants after my second year owning real estate investments because I knew or I felt like I knew more about it than my CPA did at the time. And I couldn't convey that. I was hoping they would just understand that. And so I had to go find someone that understood real estate a little bit better. And My opinion is the money you pay is very low compared to the benefit you're going to receive. It's the best money I spend every April. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joseph, is there anywhere else people I know on your website is www.ustagi.com. Is there anywhere else people can connect with you or you want people to connect with you? No, the website is the main form. On the website, you get a link to the form that you can fill out, get property information to us, and we will respond with a free no-cost estimate. I guess free, no cost is the same thing, but we can respond with the estimate. So I think everybody needs to go to the website, fill out that form. We'll give you an estimate. And then if it makes sense for you, fine. If it doesn't make sense for you, that's good too. Last thing I'm going to say is there was a lot of education and a lot of knowledge that was discussed today by Joseph. I'm probably going to recommend you guys listen to this one two or three times because I'm going to have to go back and listen to it myself again, just so I can absorb all the information that we talked about today. Joseph, thank you again for joining us. And I appreciate you sharing everything you know about cost segs and tax benefits and real estate investing strategies. You're welcome. And I enjoyed it. And you did a good job. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Joe. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.